0: Welcome to Design Lab. I'm your host, Bonku. We have something special for you. This is our 100th episode. I'm joined today by the producer of Design Lab, Rob Puglisi. Welcome, Rob. What's up, everybody? That's right. I can't believe it. We did it. 100 episodes. What is up with our new theme music?
1: You like that, don't you? Well, it's become a bit of a tradition now that we like to switch it up and change our music now and then. And This is going to be our third intro music rendition produced by the great and fantastic Manny Houston. And
0: Manny is doing some cool stuff. He is in Las Vegas now, right? He's working on Freestyle Love Supreme. Is that right?
1: That's right. That's right. He is going to be part of Lin-Manuel Miranda's production of freestyle love supreme in vegas and we're so excited to see him on stage and he's just such a great guy and a great producer and artist
0: great artist. we love good music for the design lab podcast it means a lot to us and we are honored to work with artists like mandy houston and we have reached some milestones for episode 100 we got like a hundred thousand downloads is that right rob That's right. We've surpassed 100,000
1: downloads. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You know why I can believe it? Because our fans are the best. Thank you to everybody out there who listens to the show every
0: week. You keep us going. And we started in September of 2020. Is that right? The fall of the first year of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, it was the first year of the pandemic. We were looking for a way to reconnect with people, and this was just the perfect way to do that. And we were excited to get such positive feedback from people who were getting energized and learning a lot from the guests we were bringing on, and man, we had some great guests.
0: And we really want this episode to be something for you listeners for supporting us. We've had some pretty good milestones. One of them, I think it was in 2020, where Fast Company voted our podcast So it's one of the nine podcasts to make you more creative. So that was cool. And That's we've awesome. had some other cool stuff, right, Rob?
1: We have. I mean, if you look at the statistics, podcasts are still like a exploding medium. It's growing more and more every day. There's actually 2.4 million
0: podcasts that oh are out gosh. there why are we adding to this what? Know,
1: like <laughs> <laughs> well believe it or not so we are thank again thanks to our amazing listeners we are in the top 10 percent of podcasts Shut in the up. world yep that's due it, to our man. listener volume and it's pretty amazing being that i feel like we just started even though we just hit 100 episodes and looking forward to what else we can do
0: and what's this us being in the library of congress what's that about <laughs> that's
1: right So we are indexed in the Library of Congress, just like most books are. But the Library of Congress now indexes things like podcasts. So cool. So the Library of Congress traditionally would just index shows. Serial television shows would be recorded for their cultural relevancy. And now because podcasts have become such a widespread and powerful medium, they have begin to index them as well. So we were part of the initial pilot of podcasts who got...
0: Recorded indefinitely in perpetuity, amazing forever for all time in the Library of Congress. Amazing, and we have a freaking awesome newsletter that you create every week for our listeners. If you have not subscribed to that, you can do it right. Like, why is that important that people subscribe to our podcast newsletter?
1: We try to make you know this program as accessible as we can for different types of listeners, which means that we want to remind you when we have a new episode out. Some people are really good at getting that little notification when Spotify or Apple podcast tells them there's a new episode. We want to also drop something in your mailbox and give you a little information about our guests and even a couple other links that you could follow if you really like the subject matter. And we try to build the show for what we would want, what we would want to learn each week and hear from, especially when we have such incredible guests. We've been so lucky to have such wonderful guests each week. We want to make sure that everybody knows when our episode drops.
0: And I know you want me to say this every week, but if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, do it. And you support us by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can actually rank our show. So right now we have almost 100 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. What? We don't have 100 yet, man. So if you're listening, push us over that 100 range. So we currently have a five-star rating, but give us 100.
1: Yeah. There's very few podcasts with five-star ratings and even big podcasts. They don't have a lot of ratings. We have a good chunk of ratings, but I think we can make it to 100. And you people out there can help us do that. Yeah.
0: It helps others find out about the show. So thank you for supporting us. And we have a pretty cool episode. Can you tell our listening audience what they have in store for them? Oh, yeah. Episode 100 is a clip
1: show. (laughs) You know, we wanted to go back to the beginning and revisit some of our earlier guests, discuss some of the
0: topics that they brought to us. It's like a highlight reel. And so we picked out some of the best clips. And we're just going to like talk about them, what it meant to us. We wish we could have done it with every single guest. But this episode would have been like five hours long so we just picked out a few of some of our memorable earlier clips from the show
1: it's been two years since we've heard from some of these folks and they're so awesome and we wanted to get back to what they had to say and share it with all of you once more
0: cool so how do i do this rob what do i
1: do what's going to happen is using the magic of radio (laughs) we are going to introduce each of a number of guests and play these clips
0: What's our first clip going to be, Bon? So, we have Ellen Lupton. She is a writer, an author, a curator, an educator, and designer. She's also the co author of our book, Help Design Thinking. She is one of my design heroes. So, let's play a clip from Ellen. Well, one thing that I do is I recognize that you can be creative in short periods of time. Mm. And some of us, we tell ourselves that we can't create anything unless we have the whole weekend. Yeah. Or if we take a sabbatical or we, you know, have like a whole a day off, like Fridays off. And that's not realistic for a lot of people. So if you can look at 20 minutes or half an hour as a time where you can be creative, you chip away at a project that way.
1: If you love to draw and paint, like you can really do a beautiful drawing in 20 minutes. I think about this all the time. Like this quote will play in my head so frequently, most commonly when I'm in the process of picking up my phone to open up some garbage social media time-wasting app.
0: What I love about this is Ellen is one of the most creative people that I know. And so I would just think like creativity exudes out of her pores, but she actually has to be disciplined about it. She has to make time to be creative and... That's something I learned when we were writing our book together. We would spend these short chunks of time working on the book for over a year. This is one of the most creative acts that I've done, but they were literally just like what you were saying, Rob. I would spend like 20 minutes here, Mm -hmm. one hour here on a random like Saturday morning or Wednesday night, and we were able to get discrete chunks of the book done throughout a year.
1: I mean, talking about superpowers, Ellen has got such a superpower for being able to explain these concepts in a way that just makes them so approachable. She's amazing.
0: Next up, Nzinga Harrison. Who's Nzinga, Rob?
1: All right. So Nzinga Harrison was our second guest on Design Lab, and she's a psychiatrist. And the way that she describes and explains and educates people on addiction is really incredible. So we're going to play this clip for you. All right, let's hear it. That's because surfing, for some reason, has the ability to develop a bigger dopamine signal. And so when we look at people with addiction, like, first of all, the size of the dopamine signal that drugs can generate, like, just forget it. I always say it's like food is like a light bulb and cocaine is like the brightness of the sun Mm. in terms of intensity of dopamine signal.
0: Oh, I remember this. She was making fun of me because I was talking about my addiction to surfing.
1: She called you out. She called you out.
0: And, you know, I was talking about my addiction to surfing and work, but it's a real thing. There's a biochemical pathway to it.
1: There is. And there's so much stigma and judgment that goes along with addiction and how people think about it and talk about it. And she just really has a great way of describing how everything is just stacked against somebody
0: who yeah. has an addiction, right? Like destigmatizes addiction.
1: Yep. And it's really awesome. And even though she was calling you out on having a slight or maybe major addiction to surfing,
0: major, major.
1: <laughs> I've learned so much from that episode. And I encourage everybody to go back and give that one a listen because it really is a great one.
0: And related to that, we actually had another guy on Dad Zulukowski, who is such a great author. And he talks about his own addiction to alcohol and opioids and how he used surfing as a replacement addiction. So that was another episode that I think goes well with Nzinga's episode.
1: Yeah. Good memory there, Bon. I like that. Yeah. All right. Who's next?
0: Next clip is from Mike Natter, who we had actually on two times. He's on episode three. So let's listen to Mike Natter, who is an endocrinologist and an artist. The the key is, especially people in medicine who are used to being type A
1: personalities, who get top of the class, never get anything wrong, think in a very black and white mindset and this binary right and wrong, that it's okay to be in the gray and it's okay for your art or your creation to not end up looking good or useful. It's that process that you're taking that is the cathartic part. You get into a flow state of mind that actually allows you to what they call unstring the bow. If your bow is taut all the time, it's going to start to warp
0: and you have to unstring it.
1: When's the last time you unstrung your bow, Bon?
0: Unstringing my bow. I think every time I go surfing, I sort of unstring my bow. That's my mechanism. Everyone has their own mechanism to do that. For Mike, it's through his art. That's how he unstrings his bow. And the two don't go hand in hand, right, Rob? Like most people don't think art and medicine don't go hand in hand, but... What we learned from Mike is that him being an artist actually makes him to be a better physician.
1: He describes it in a way in that he could not be a good physician by his own description without his art. That his art replenishes his empathy. He says it's unstringing as well, right? It gives himself an ability to refocus and recenter.
0: What's amazing about Mike's story is I think he only got into one medical school, Being, he was an art major in college, and he is a smart guy. He is has a bright mind in medicine, and what we have set up in the pedagogy of medicine is that we select out people like Mike who don't fit this mold of being a 4.0 biology major in college, and we select out people who think differently and see the world differently. And we need to be selecting more people like Mike into medicine. And not that we don't need those people who got a 4.0 in biology, but there are other people who can be great doctors who come from different majors in college, humanities major. Like me, I was a classical studies major, artists, other creative people. And Mike has this great Instagram, right? That he makes all these cool graphics and comics and Mm -hmm. really inspires a lot of people who are artists like himself, who are thinking about a career in medicine, but maybe are a little bit hesitant to enter in medicine because they feel like they need to get all A's in sciences and only have a scientific mindset.
1: And that's what I love so much about our work in the health design lab, is that we've been able to create a place, like a haven for people who are creative to explore their creative side while also exploring medicine and learning medicine and fixing problems in healthcare. Or even better, I love helping people rediscover their creativity who feel like they've lost it.
0: And some of our listening audience may not know that we work together in a research group at our hospital in Philadelphia called the Health Design Lab where we look at everything from using 3D printing to make surgery safer to teaching human-centered design to medical students. So we actually have a day job outside of this podcast and that fills most of our time. And we have a few day jobs, done. One of our inspirations is John Maida. Tell us about John.
1: I love listening to John Maida speak. He has an ability to light that creative fire in my brain. And he does that to a lot of people. And he currently defines himself as a technologist, but he's also an artist, educator, graphic designer, computer scientist, an engineer. He encourages people to be everything that they can be. And it's amazing listening to him.
0: He's also an author. I have several of his books. He was president of Rhode Island School of Design and was at MIT Media Lab before that. So let's listen to a clip from John Mida. So. In summary, number one, have urgency because you're going to die. Number two, creativity takes time, so create that time. Number three, you can make it by making money to fund that free time. And Rob, we've taken his advice to heart for the work that we do, right? Like we we have this sense of urgency about us. We make sure we make time for creativity and we're practical. We need to yeah. fund the space for our creative muscles to be worked out in.
1: Yeah. I mean, the stuff we're talking about on this show every week is urgent. It's an emergency. We have an emergency in healthcare and every one of these episodes I feel gets us closer to changing things. And each of the guests we've had on the show are each contributing to the world in a way that could make us all healthier.
0: During the pandemic, I think we felt this sense of urgency, right? And there have been a lot of creative acts that were being done during the pandemic.
1: I know, isn't it fascinating? So much about the pandemic was incredibly tragic, but you know, just like how we were inspired to create this show, so many people kind of were just like fed up. and They were like, we have to fix things. We have to do things differently. And that's incredible. And to go from one in incredible designer and Renaissance man, quite frankly, to another amazing designer. Who do we have up next, Bon?
0: Next up is Georgia Lupi. She is an information designer and partner at Pentagram based in New York City. Georgia Lupi is originally from Italy. I love her Italian accent. This was a fun interview. And She's the co-author of a book called Dear Data, which I have loved the book, highly recommended. So let's listen to Georgia Loopy talk about data.
1: What fascinates me in general about data is really not the numbers. is the power of abstracting our lives one subject at a time so that we can really all focus on that aspect. And then the power of being an incredible material for visualization and for graphic design and so. This is really the way that I see data in general. It is really my way of seeing the world and my way to expressing myself. So as a person with diabetes, hearing Georgia talking about data and how data is represented is like so important to me because now that there's so many incredible technologies that enable us to collect this unfathomable quantities of data, now what? right? Like, what do we do with it? How do we make any sense out of it?
0: Yeah. And she talks about data being a design material and a way to express herself, which most people don't think about data that way. And your life is filled with data that are life and death data, right? From you, you have a insulin pump and you have a continuous glucose monitor. So you're always getting data about yourself. And something I just bought because
1: I love when the digital world meets the physical world is a light that changes color according to what my blood sugar is. Wait, what? What is this light? Well, how do you see this data? How do you see whether or not someone is good or bad or whatever? They came up with this light. It's literally a little nightlight. And if it's green, you know, you're in a certain range. You can program it to be able to quickly glance at it and know whether your blood sugar... You have a blood
0: sugar nightlight on your nightstand? Yep, exactly, yeah. Oh, you never told me about this. No, it's new. I just got it. Oh, get out. So if you get hypoglycemic, what color does it turn? Red. Bad. No way. So your wife could see it? Yep, she could see it. Because so many times
1: I found myself getting up in the middle of the night and just being too tired to pick up my phone and look at what my blood sugar is. I'm just like, whatever, I'm fine. And just go right back to sleep. Wow. And I was like, I shouldn't be doing that. If I wouldn't probably a reason. And now I just know, like, without even thinking about it, I could see it. And I think it's a really great example of how so much data is invisible. Yeah. And how that data is meaningless to you, but to yeah. me, it's everything. So that it's just it's amazing. It possibilities. And John Mitah talks a lot about this as well, right? This invisible mm, yeah. alternative universe of the digital world. And it's all data and how an individual uses it is a really incredible place for design to make a big impact.
0: As we think about the future of medicine, how important it is going to be to get people to think about how to visualize the data that is being collected and outputted by patients and caregivers and others. Right? We're having so much more healthcare data out there. And there's going to be a role for designers to represent that data accurately and to storytell through that data and to
1: make sense of it because there's already not enough healthcare professionals in the world just to do that face to face encounter. Now we're creating all this other potentially actionable data. Who or what is going to do something with that? I could talk about data. All day, but let's get back to the people. And Craig Wilkins, awesome, amazing guest. And he's an artist, activist, academic. And I just love the way he talks about repurposing things in the environment in this next clip. All right, let's listen to it. It wasn't designed to do any of that stuff. But these are kids who are using what their environment has provided for them to do something that they really want to do. And in a sense, they are reimagining the ways in which materials can be used. And that's one of the tenets of hip-hop architecture, is to reimagine what was considered discarded into something that is a substantial or substantive.
0: And to get some context around that, he's talking about the birth of hip-hop music and how people were using turntables that played records and how they were repurposing this technology to make hip-hop music so i love that connection it was so cool as you know music is important to us and this mm-hmm. podcast and it was really cool to see this inspiration and to connect some dots there
1: craig describes repurposing things that you have to create value is such an important lesson and you can apply that to so many different things in our world we have another amazing guest coming up on the next clip on want to introduce
0: yeah bj miller is a palliative care physician based in the san francisco area he's a inspiration to me love his episode let's listen to a quote from bj Step one would be just to begin to get in touch with the fact that you are finite. Your time on planet is finite. I think from there, you start taking your time a little bit more seriously. You start, like for me, it's a really, one of the ways it's allowed me to live better is when I realize that no matter what I do, whether I don't smoke, whether I eat my kale, whatever it is, I'm going to die someday. It's not a failure. It's not like I didn't try. and. Knowing that that end is coming allows me to be a little less paralyzed. So what I mean by that is to say, okay, if I know the end is death, no matter what I do, well, then I might as well try because I have nothing to lose. Mm. B.J. Miller had a near-death experience when he was a student at Princeton University, and he went on to become a palliative care physician. He wrote a book on how we could redesign death. Everyone has to listen to this episode because we need to rethink or reimagine how we die, especially in the United States where we have medicalized death. And a huge fan of BJ's. He's an inspiration to me. You're going to love what he has to say. Be sure to listen to that one, kind
1: of in a similar thread to our previous guest, right? This concept of repurposing what you have. BJ really encourages us to repurpose death as a tool to
0: live better. And death is what makes us human. We're all gonna die, but so many of our lives are designed that we're gonna live forever. And so there's something freeing actually accepting that yes, we are going to die. And how are you going to re engineer our lives in light of that? Right? We're gonna take our time more seriously. When we accept that our life here on this planet is finite.
1: I think is a great segue to our next guest, Cliff Kwong, who is an author of the book User Friendly. And in this clip, he talks about feedback and the importance and power of feedback, something which I think you can only really accept if you accept the fact that your life is finite.
0: This is one of my favorite quotes by Cliff.
1: Feedback is this process it's this, this loop by which the intent that we have is reflected in the world around us. And when that loop is short-circuited, when it's not working, then you don't have any confidence in whether or not you had agency over the things around you.
0: So every time you order your latte at Starbucks, Rob, there's a feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. They say a grande soy latte and it's repeated by the barista, and you have this assurance that your coffee is being prepared, but in healthcare, we lack those feedback loops. For example, when I'm ordering a medication, I go into the computer, into electronic healthcare record, and I order a medication, but there isn't that same feedback loop of like, hey, I know what I ordered is going to be completed. And I think a lack of a feedback loop can be catastrophic in healthcare. And what Cliff Kwong does in this book, User Friendly, he talks about the history of feedback loops, a history of products and services and systems that were designed poorly and how catastrophic that is. I highly recommend that book. A lot of implications for healthcare.
1: The lack of feedback loops as it pertains to public and community health, I think, is crazy, right? Like when you discharge a patient with a set of instructions and a prescription, you almost never get to find out whether or not that was successful, right? Unless they
0: something extreme happens and they land back in your emergency department. What about you, Rob? On a daily basis, if you don't have a feedback loop, you will literally die from your diabetes. I would. I would. It's true.
1: Without that information and being able to see that my actions have consequences and then having feedback on that and being able to try again is how I keep my diabetes under control.
0: What does that look like on a daily basis for you? Like you eat a meal, I see you with your continuous glucose monitor and your insulin pump. Like how does that feedback loop work for you?
1: So every meal is different. I have to make a calculation to how much insulin I have to give myself. So I'll eat that meal. And, you know, people eat pretty much the same stuff. So let's say I'll have something I really should never have, like a bagel with cream cheese. And then I'm like, all right, there's like 70 grams of carbs probably in this bagel. And I tell myself to give myself 70 grams of carbs worth of insulin. And then I get to watch my blood sugar and I get to see it slowly creep up. And then because it was a bagel, there'll be a sudden massive spike. And then I'll see my insulin kick in some point down the road and it'll be a massive drop and then i'll feel terrible i'll regret doing any of that and eating that bagel and then there's my feedback i'm like you know what maybe next time i shouldn't have a, a bagel for breakfast because it doesn't matter how hard i try it's going to be hard to control that with my insulin. yeah i mean
0: it'd be like giving yourself insulin and not checking your blood sugar is a lack of a feedback loop right
1: yeah exactly
0: All right. Our last clip is from Susanna Fox, who is, I think, the number one fan of Design Lab podcast. Super fan. Yeah, she's a super fan. She's always tweeting about us, gives us positive feedback. She is wonderful. She was a guest on episode 59. Susanna is a health and information technology researcher. She's working on a new book that's coming out next year. And she was a former chief technology officer for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Let's listen to what Susanna has to say. You can look at the top 10 products in any health category on Amazon and start reading the reviews. And people are giving incredible feedback on the design for those medical devices and products that they're using to make their lives better. And that's why I think peer-to-peer healthcare is so much more powerful and widespread than a lot of people in the C-suite of healthcare understand right now. So Susanna's book is going to be on this concept of peer-to-peer healthcare and recognizing the expertise of patients and caregivers in that community. She's been like this anthropologist over the past few years, understanding what value that patients and caregivers can have upon overall health and how they're unrecognized.
1: And this is such a powerful resource for anybody who has a disease or is encountering something new in their health or in their life for the first time. And we almost take it for granted now because it's become part of our culture. Do Before you make any decision, you look to see what decisions others have made. And what this means for people's health can't be overstated.
0: And I I hope we see more of that. I mean, I say this a lot that it's easier to find information on the restaurant that you're going to eat out tonight in your city than maybe the surgeon who's going to take your gallbladder out. Like we need more ways where people can get reviews, not only physicians and hospitals, but the products and services of healthcare.
1: And thinking back to the episode with Liz Salmi. I love Liz. Exactly. Talking about open notes and the importance of openness and more communication, not less in healthcare.
0: Transparency.
1: And transparency. I'm happy that we you know, live in today's world of healthcare. There's so much that needs to be fixed, but hearing people arguing as to whether or not patients should or should not receive information is just not something we have to hear anymore. And it's amazing because there are so many ways that we can be helping people take better care of themselves and be healthier by just being more
0: transparent. We just want to thank you for listening to us, for tuning in each week. Sometimes I don't know, Rob. I feel like, are we just speaking out into a void? It feels like that. It does. It does. Because we're just here. We're like on Zoom. We're like talking into these mics. But it's cool when people give us feedback on like Twitter and Instagram and you leave some reviews on Apple podcasts. And it's super helpful when you do that because sometimes it's a lonely experience to speak out into the void.
1: Totally. And, The constructive criticism is great too. When we make changes to the show and we make it better, it's awesome. It's so great to be able to continue to iterate and improve the show for folks. And for us, it's a lot of fun.
0: It's the reason why we do this. We don't get paid to do this podcast, but it is a passion project for us. We are very curious about how we could design healthier lives and there's a lot of garbage out there misinformation disinformation we really want to highlight the amazing people in our network who are doing this and if you have ideas for future guests please let us know we love recommendations of people that you think can be on the show who can inspire us to live a healthier life exactly how can you do that how can people reach out to us rob so
1: you can just shoot us an email at bon at designlabpod.com or rob at designlabpod.com heck drop it in a comment we read every one so we'll see it you know if you think there's somebody who we should have on the show and we'll do what we can
0: to get them on one thing i think is funny is that people think we have a large team working on this podcast so Explain, Rob, how the magic happens, who's our team, how did the show get produced?
1: We're lucky to have some help, just a little bit. We do have some help, but most of the work is happening right here between Bond and myself. Bond does a lot of work curating an incredible guest list and communicating with them to make sure that they sound awesome when they come on the show. And I get to apply all of my obsessive compulsive pharmacist tendencies to producing this show and making sure that it sounds as crisp and beautiful as possible for your ears. And each week, if you listen at the end of the show, we always give credit to the folks who do help us to make this show fantastic. People like Manny Houston, who does our incredible music. Eden Liu, who did all of the original art for the show. And then my editor, Fernando Quiroz, who is really a lifesaver and saves me a lot of time cutting these episodes each
0: week. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Fernando, for helping us with that So that was our 100th episode. Thanks for tuning in and helping us go down memory lane for some of our favorite design quotes. Yes. Thank
1: you. And I think we should send everybody home with a couple to do's a little bit of homework. So we already talked about reviews. Well, I'm not going to say it again, but I will. And also send us your guest recommendations but also tell your friends and family about the show. If not for us, for our incredible guests who give their time to to be on the show and to speak with you each week, make sure you spread the word, help be our advocates for the show. The more ears we get, the more energy we have and the more awesome work we'll put out for you to listen to.
0: And hopefully we'll come back at episode 200. Episode 200. Let's do it.
1: One more thing, Bon. I also want to thank you for doing such a fantastic job with the show. It's been my honor to make a hundred episodes of incredible content with you and can't wait to keep making more.
0: Thanks, Rob. It's been an incredible journey. We cannot do this alone. We are a team and this has been one of the most creative things I've done in my life. So thank you, Rob. Thank you for producing this. Let's make 100 more episodes, man. Thanks everybody out there for listening. We'll see you next week. All right. Now here's Manny Houston taking us out.